invite you to turn your Bibles now to Paul's first letter to Timothy in chapter 3. We'll be looking at verses 8 through 13. Having finished two weeks ago looking at verses 1 through 7, we now look at qualifications for deacons and their wives. And so I'm going to read verses 8 through 13 for us, but before I do, brothers and sisters, I remind you as always that this is the word of the living God. So let us receive it humbly and joyfully together. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first, and then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Beloved, the word of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. So let's ask the Lord now to revive us with his word and by the spirit. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we acknowledge that you, along with the Son and the Spirit, are truth and wisdom itself. And so we recognize together that any truth that we know is from you, and any wisdom that we possess has been given by you. We confess this evening the folly of our sin, and we ask that you might forgive us for Jesus' sake. By your word, And by your spirit, instruct us and teach us now in the way that we should go. In love, counsel us with your eye upon us and grant that we may not be like a stubborn mule who is without understanding, who's only moved by the pain that's inflicted upon him. Instead, let us obey you, knowing that your steadfast love surrounds us as we trust in you. And may we be glad in you and rejoice in our fellowship with you all our days. And we ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, ever since the fall, God has ordained to care for and minister Christ to his people through prophets and through priests and through kings. And so you can go back in the Old Testament and see that After the fall happens again and again and again, Christ is communicated, ministered to his people through prophets, priests, and kings. And then when Jesus shows up, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel, we see that he comes and ministers to his people how? As a prophet, and as a priest, and as a king. And so it shouldn't surprise us, now that he has returned to the Father, and sent the Holy Spirit, that he leaves the church with three offices that really correlate to prophet, priest, and king. And what are those three offices? Because Christ is still ministering to his people through the offices of prophet, priest, and king. 
And those three offices in the church are, first of all, the prophetic office is carried out by ministers of the word. And we'll talk more about that later in this epistle of Paul to Timothy. And then second of all, you have kings. And really, we've already looked two weeks ago at that kingly office that is fulfilled by elders as they rule in the church according to God's word. That is Christ ministering to his people through the men that he qualifies and calls to serve as elders in the church. And then the third office is a priestly office. It's an office of service to the physical needs of the body, and of course, that's the office of the deacon. The deacon really assists the elder as he rules, as they rule in the church according to God's word, to really put feet to it, to assist them to make sure that the church is running the way that Christ has commanded for it to be run. And so tonight as we look at 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13 and the office of deacon, we're going to look at this under three headings, three simple headings that will guide us through our passage. First of all, we're going to look at the qualifications for deacons, much as we looked at two weeks ago in verses 1 through 7, the qualifications for elders. Now there's qualifications for deacons. We'll look at that in verses 8 through 10 and verse 12. Second of all, maybe a little surprisingly, and we'll talk about this, they're not just qualifications for the man who holds the office of deacon, but also for his wife, who doesn't hold the office of deacon, but will no doubt serve him as he ministers to the church. And we'll see that in verse 11. And then finally, thirdly, we'll look at the deacon's reward in verse 13. It's not just that God equips a deacon to serve this way and equips him to serve well, but then he also rewards him for serving well in the household of God. And this is what I don't want us to miss as we're looking at this tonight. I want us to be reminded, as we were two weeks ago, as we looked at the office of elder, that when we see deacons, or as in our case at Sovereign Grace, our one deacon, hopefully that changes soon, but we only have one, that as we see our deacons serve in our midst, we understand that they are Christ's grace and love and mercy to us. That is actually the Lord Jesus Christ, the head of the church, who gave his life for his bride. He is serving the church through these office holders that he appoints, the deacons. Because Jesus is the great deacon. He is the great servant who laid down his life for us. And so as we look at this office together, I want us to see the love that Christ has for his church. So let's look first then at the qualifications for deacons, beginning in verse 8. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. So we saw two weeks ago as we looked at the office of elder that Paul has turned his attention now to the importance of leadership in the church. And it's really important that you understand the qualifications that God has laid out for those that he works in by his spirit that Christ works in to serve in these capacities. And we see that the great theme of why Paul has written this to, to Timothy is so that we as Christians would know how to engage in the public worship of God. 
and the leadership of the church is at the heart of that. And so Paul laid out those qualifications under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit for elders in verses 1 through 7 of chapter 3. And now he turns to deacons, and he says, deacons likewise. In other words, there's great similarities between the office of deacon and the office of elder. And here's really the best way probably for you to think about the difference between the two. The difference between the two is the nature of their work. It's a division of labor. The elders rule in accord with the word of the Lord, and the deacons then carry that out. They care for the practical needs of the church. But here are the similarities. Well, really the biggest similarity is that the qualifications are the same. And so we're not to think of deacons as being, well, they're almost to the sanctification level of elders. That's not the difference. They are both to share the same character qualities. We're going to see that with absolute clarity as we walk through these verses. And so we see that right out of the gate. What's the first thing that Paul says is a qualification? What is a character trait that Christ, by his spirit, works in a man who is called and qualified to serve as a deacon? He says the first thing is that they must be dignified. And that can be translated noble or respectable or even grave or serious. And so the idea here is there is a gravity to this man. There's a gravity to the way he approaches his walk with the Lord, his communion with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's a gravity with which he approaches his work. There's a gravity to the way that he approaches all of life because he understands that he is living his life before the face of God. And as he works, he is working as unto the Lord and for the benefit of those around him. And so if you were to summarize what is the character of a deacon, you would say, well, he's dignified. He's noble. There's a gravity there. And so then Paul goes on to say, what does that look like? What does it look like to, to lead a dignified life? Well, let's start with a couple things that it doesn't look like. He says a deacon must not be double-tongued. Or to put this positively, a deacon must be sincere. He must be someone that you can trust. In other words, he, he's not saying something to you, but internally, in his heart and in his mind, he believes something completely different. Or he knows the truth, but he's concealing that from you and he's telling you something else that maybe you want to hear. Or another example of this is he's not someone that's saying one thing to this person over here in that context. And then when he feels pressure from this person over here, he says something completely different. He's not a divided man. He's a man of integrity. He's sincere. And so you're not constantly wondering, hey, is what this man is telling me the truth? Or is he hoodwinking me? Is he lying to me? You don't have to question that with a deacon. When Christ communes with a man and calls him and qualifies him for this office, he understands that because his Savior is the way and the truth and the life, that he is to be a man of the truth, that, that he is trustworthy, not double-tongued, but when he says something, he means it, and he means what he says. Going on with this description of what it looks like to be dignified, Paul says that when the Spirit works in a man so that he's called and qualified, he's not addicted to much wine. Now, that's the exact same qualification that the Holy Spirit works in the elder, doesn't he? An elder, Paul says in verses 1 through 7, will not be a drunkard. He'll be sober-minded. 
He'll be self-controlled. And so, like his fellow officer, the elder, the deacon will not be a drunkard. He won't be given to intoxication with any substance. And so, as you look at his life, you can see very clearly his God is not his belly. He lives to serve others. He's not filled with wine. He's not filled with spirits. He's not filled with other substances. He's not abusing them. Instead, what is he filled with? He's filled with the Holy Spirit. And that is a gracious work of the Holy Spirit so that he meets the qualification to serve as a deacon. Paul continues to say what it doesn't look like for him. Negatively, he says that a deacon must not be greedy for dishonest gain. Same qualification as for an elder. Paul says later on in this letter, warn all the believers, which by the way, let me take a moment to say this. These are qualifications, by the way, that all of us as believers should pursue. You shouldn't hear this and go, well, I'm never, especially you ladies, I'm never going to be an elder or deacon, so I don't have to worry about that. No, 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 no. This is the work that the Lord does in his people to varying degrees. And elders and deacons are exemplary examples of the Lord's work in an individual's life, in a man's work, putting on display his grace. And so these are things that we should all strive for. But Paul says, do not be given to the love of money. Warn the believers that loving money is the source of all kinds of evils. And so Paul says, you'll know that a man is qualified to serve as a deacon if he's not greedy. If we're going to put this positively, he's a contented man. He's not constantly looking for, how can I get more? How can I get more? Because you don't want an office holder, a deacon, who's going to have his fingers to some degree or another in the finances or resources of the church to be a man who's discontent and is constantly tempted to abuse access to those resources. He should be a trustworthy man because he's content. Like Paul, he's learned contentment in Christ. And so he's able to use the church's resources for the benefit of the church, rather than abuse them for his own selfish gains. Paul goes on to continue to list the qualifications that Christ graciously works in the life of a deacon in verse 9. So look there with me. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. In other words, the deacon will cling to the gospel. He will hold fast to sound doctrine, as it's taught in the Bible, in the Holy Scriptures, because he cherishes his Lord and his Savior. He loves the truth in God's word because he loves the one who is the way and the truth and the life. And this is so important, especially on the heels of what Paul has to say about Alexander and Hymenaeus at the end of chapter 1, where they made shipwreck of faith. Why? Because they did not hold to it with a good conscience. For whatever reason, they were seeking to use a position of power and use the faith for their own selfish ends. And Paul says, no, with sincerity, he must hold fast to all that he has been taught. Now, let's note an interesting difference here between the deacon and the elder. The elder is commanded to be able to teach, to teach the whole counsel of God and refute those who contradict. That's not a requirement for the deacon. He must hold fast to the faith. Now, does that mean that, that no deacons will be able to teach? No, that doesn't mean that at all. Let's not think that these are like wooden, rigid categories where there's no crossing over. You may have deacons 
that are absolutely able to teach. The point, again, the difference between the offices, the main, is the nature of the work, the division of labor amongst the household of God. So this is one of the qualifications, though. These are men who are given to the faith. You see this happen in certain churches. Men are appointed as deacons because they have a certain set of practical skills. Well, he's really good at that, so maybe we, you know, we should just make him a deacon so that we'll be able to, to grab him with something. He's got an official office. No, you can't not volunteer anymore because you're a deacon. Yes, they're going to have practical skills that they can use to serve the church. But at the end of the day, one of the necessary qualifications is that they love their Savior and they walk in covenant faithfulness with him by his grace. And so they hold fast to the word. They don't swerve from it to the right or to the left. Like Abraham's servant that we heard about this morning, he's faithful to what the Lord has given him to believe and to do. Now, there's one more interesting, I put it as a qualification. Really, it's an instruction for how the church ought to choose deacons, what that process ought to look like in part. We see that in verse 10. Look there with me. And let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. So what Paul is saying here is that before any man is given the office of deacon, he should be examined. He should be tested. He should be tried. And so what does that look like? Well, there's a variety of ways that you could test a man. One of those ways is you should know him for a long period of time. You should be able to observe his character for a long period of time. Shouldn't be like, well, we just got to know him and he's got this skill set and we really like him and he fits with our team, so boom, he's a deacon. No, you should know this person. There should be a long track record of faithfulness to Christ, faithfulness to his church, holding fast to the word, and that should be evident and you should be aware of that. And one of the ways that you can see that, this is something that we do at Sovereign Grace, is you bring a man onto your team your officer team, the elders, the deacons, and the ministers of the word, and you don't give him the formal office, but you do give him some of the work so that you can see how he fits with the team and when there's pressures and there's conflict, how does he handle that? When people ask questions about the scriptures, does he show himself to faithfully hold fast to the word? We learn a lot about guys, other men, as we go through this process. And I'll tell you this, We've been well served by approaching things this way. And that shouldn't surprise you because that's how Christ commands us to conduct ourselves in the church. It's the same way that Paul says in 1 Timothy 5, verse 22, you should not be hasty in laying on of hands for elders. It's the same concept. And so I'll tell you this, we, we are well served when we take our time and we're not well served when we rush. And this is also why it's a group of men, it's a team of men that make these decisions because some of us have a proclivity to moving fast and some of us have a proclivity to move slow. And so if it was up to Pastor Chad, everyone would be an elder and deacon. That's not true. And if it was up to Pastor Jason, no one would be, including Pastor Jason. No. So this is why you have a group and this is why it takes wisdom and we can't approach this overly woodenly or rigidly. Again, that was the warning that we had from two weeks ago. So Paul says, take your time. Get to know them, test them, see their character, see their faithfulness on display. Then the final qualification, and this again is not anything new, didn't already hear with the elders, is in verse 12. 
Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. You want to look at the best arena to see if a man is going to be faithful in the household of God? Go and see how he conducts himself and the fruit in his own household. First of all, he should be faithful to his wife. Same requirement for elders, right? He should be a one-woman man, singularly devoted to her. Everybody knows it. He lives his life upholding the covenant vows he made on that day to his wife where he said, till death do us part, I will do you good all the days of your life. And everybody knows that that's what he is marked by. And if you go to his home, you see that he manages his house well. He is not slothful there. He's not lazy. He leads his family, and the fruit is abundantly evident. Because if a man is slothful, in his home, don't expect him to have an official office in the church and for all of that to all of a sudden change. And so again, it's just filled with common sense that this is what Paul says are to be requirements for deacons. And I'm so thankful to the Lord Jesus Christ that he's left us with these. And so again, what do we see? As with elders, we see that the emphasis on qualifications for deacons is not on skills or giftedness, but on character. I mean, if there's any giftedness or skill, and I don't really want to call it that, it's just that they prove themselves faithful, holding fast to the faith once for all delivered to the saints. And so this is exactly how it should be with those who commune with Christ, that they're going to have this kind of character. And again, deacons are exemplary in this, and they're exemplary in this. Why? Ultimately, because, as I said in the beginning, Jesus is the deacon. He is the servant. Indeed, Isaiah calls him what? The suffering servant. He is the true Israel who has laid down his life. He came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for the many. And how has he served us? He served us by fulfilling all righteousness in our place. We failed. And we owed God a debt that we could never repay. And Christ paid that debt on the cross in full, the penalty for our sins. So there's none left for us. And then in the service of God's people, he rose from the dead. He ascended to the Father's right hand. And you understand, he's interceding at the Father's hand right now as our great high priest interceding for us. And what we're to see is that those whom Jesus calls to serve in his church will be like him. They will live to serve. And as we see them serve, we're to understand that is Christ loving and caring for his bride. That is Christ's love for you on display, and we ought to rejoice in that. Now, Paul doesn't stop there. He makes it clear that Christ does not simply provide these qualifications for the man who will hold the office of deacon, but also there's qualifications for his wife. So let's look at those, the qualifications for deacons' wives, and these will go really quickly in verse 11. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Now, the first thing that we want to say here, again, we don't want to be overly wooden and rigid. Paul is not saying that a deacon has to be married in order to serve in this role. It's not what he's saying. He's not saying, well, if a man's not married, he doesn't get to serve as a deacon. No, what he's saying is most who serve as deacons will be married, 
And so one of the things that you ought to look at when a man desires to serve in the office of deacon is, does his wife meet these qualifications? Because Christ will work in her in such a way that she will meet these qualifications. So what are those? Let's briefly look at these. There's four character qualities that Christ works in a deacon's wife. First of all, she must be dignified. All right, no surprise, right? Because that's the exact same word that Paul says must mark the man himself, the deacon. And so the point is, even as he has a certain gravity and weightiness in how he approaches his life and his walk with the Lord, the same will be true with his wife. They will be yoked together in their approach to life and their service to the church in that way. Secondly, Paul says that deacons' wives must not be slanderers. Literally, they must not be given to devil's speech. They must not be given to malicious words. They must not slander others. They must not, when they have access to certain information, spread that on to other people who aren't mature enough to handle it. And they don't use their words to tear other people down. This is one of the qualifications that Paul says Christ works in a deacon's wife. And she'll be marked by this gracious, kind, loving speech positively. Why? Because her Savior's speech was and marked by the exact same characteristics. So she won't be malicious in her speech. Thirdly, Paul says she must be sober-minded. She must be sober-minded. Similar to, by the way, the elder. We saw there when we looked at that language of being sober-minded, it meant both that the elder must not be given to intoxicating himself with substances and that when he's in difficult circumstances, he doesn't lose his head and start to make foolish, unwise decisions. No, he's clear-headed and he's given to prudence in all of his ways. And what Paul is saying is a deacon's wife who is qualified will be the exact same way. She won't be given to drunkenness, and instead, she will be able to serve others even in the chaos that may be around her and her husband as they are serving the church. And then fourthly and finally, Paul says that a deacon's wife must be faithful in all things. Now let's be careful here. He's not saying that she must be perfect in all things. That's not what he says. He says she must be faithful. And so what does that look like? She's going to be consistently reliable. She's going to be consistently trustworthy as she helps her husband. And I think also what it's getting at is she's going to walk faithfully with the Lord in communion with him as she serves those around her. It's really another way of saying even as the deacon must hold fast to the faith with a good conscience, so must his wife. In whatever she does, she does it all to the glory of God as she's empowered by the Spirit and through the mediation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you may be wondering to yourself, okay, so we looked at the office of elder two weeks ago. How come Paul doesn't have any requirements for elders' wives? How come just for deacons' wives? Well, first of all, again, let's not so separate these offices that there's not any wisdom for us to look at the character of an elder's wife. And, and I'll tell you that Sovereign Grace, that's exactly what we do. The last elder that we appointed, the final interview was with, well, not even the final interview, but one of the interviews was with him and his wife. And if their children are still living in the home, we'll meet with them to find out what kind of man is he behind closed doors is what we see on Sunday morning in keeping with what you see behind closed doors at the house. 
But here's the question. So why is Paul so clear that deacons' wives must have these character qualifications? Well, again, what's the major difference between the two offices? It's the nature of the work. And so I think the reason in the wisdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, he says these are qualifications for deacons' wives because it's highly likely that deacons' wives are going to participate in that work with their husbands, caring for the practical needs of the bodies. It's going to affect them. And so they ought to have this kind of character because they're going to hear things that not every other woman in the church is going to hear. Is she mature enough to handle that? When her husband's attacked, is she mature enough to not use her speech in retaliation to attack that person, but rather to bless when she and her husband are being cursed? This is really important. And so I think that's why Paul is saying these are qualifications that a deacon's wife must meet. And if he is truly called, his wife will exemplify this kind of character because Christ will work it in her. Again, not perfectly, but consistently. And if you take the time to test them, you will see that walking with Christ bears a certain quality of fruit in their lives. Now, what's incredible is that Paul doesn't just say that Christ works graciously in a deacon and his wife so that they're saved, brought from spiritual death to spiritual life. And he doesn't just work character in them that is exemplary, as they fellowship and commune with him. That would be enough. Like, look at all of this grace. But Paul says, we could just stop there, but Paul says, and there's a great reward for them. And he doesn't even mention all the rewards here, by the way. But there are two in particular that he points out. And so it's just the abundance of Christ's love and grace that he just lavishes on his people. And he lavishes it on the deacon and his wife as they serve well. So let's look at the deacon's reward in verse 13. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. And so what is Paul saying? He's saying, look, they're going to receive two rewards in this life. We're not even talking about the rewards, by the way, they'll receive at the end of all things. Well done, good and faithful servant enter into the joy of your master. He mentions two rewards that they will experience in the here and now as they serve well. So what's the first one? First of all, he says that those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves. Now, what does that mean? Well, I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that they earn their standing before the Lord through their merit, through their good works. That's not what he's saying. What I believe he's saying, I think the audience is the church. I think that as the church sees a deacon and his wife serve and pour themselves out, taking care of the practical needs of the body, as the church sees that, they love the deacon and his wife more and more. They honor them more and more. They trust them more and more. They grow in closeness relationally to them. And so I think this is what he's talking about. You will have a good standing. And Paul says, that's a reward that the Lord graciously gives you, even as he empowers you to serve well in the church. We only have one deacon, so I'll use him as an example. I don't know about you, but as I watch Eric and Tara serve our church, because it affects her too, if you don't think it does, you don't know them very well. 
But you understand that we meet in a building that's not our own. That doesn't just appear on Sunday morning. A team has to be taken in there, and everything has to be set up just so. And Eric oversees that and makes sure that that happens every Sunday morning so that you and I don't have to think about it, so that we can show up and worship God as he's commanded us to do. And as I've seen Eric and Tara serve in those ways, I respect them and I love them and I grow in my trust in them over the years. I'm sure many of us could give testimony to that experience. And what Paul is saying, what Christ is saying through Paul, is that a reward, that's a reward that I give to deacons who serve well by my grace. The second reward that Paul mentions here is mentioned in the second half of verse 13, so let's look there. And also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So what is that talking about? I think what that's talking about is that as the deacon and his wife serve, as the Lord Jesus Christ graciously empowers them by his spirit, and there is fruit that is born that benefits the church, that benefits individual families, And the deacon and his wife see that work of the Lord in themselves and the way that it blesses the church. They have a growing conviction and confidence and assurance that the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who is doing that work in them. Their confidence is this is not something that I could sustain. This is not something that I could drum up in myself. This is clearly the work of the risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And as they serve well, That assurance, that confidence grows and grows that it is Christ who is at work in me for the good of his church, for the good of his people. So sovereign grace, let us thank God for sending his son to be the promised suffering servant, to be our great high priest, to live and to die for us that we might be reconciled to God. And then beyond that, Let us thank Christ for not only creating us as his church, but for caring for us even now in love as his church. And one of the ways that he does that is through these men that he calls and qualifies to serve as deacons in the church. And when you see that, know this is Christ caring for you, providing for you, protecting you, and loving you. And finally, I ask you to join us in praying that the Lord would continue to sustain our deacon and that the Lord would be pleased to raise up more deacons in our midst. And I encourage you to pray for that in the confidence of knowing that Christ loves us as his church. And since he loves us, he will care for us through the means that he has appointed. So may it be in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.